Thank you for listening to this podcast from Bethel Family Worship Center. This evening, I want to open the scriptures tonight and have you join me. I want to minister in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. And I want to specifically go into chapter 12. I want to thank our praise teams, our ushers, our greeters, our video and electronic folks, media, audio, everybody that serves and uh, serving in our children's and our student ministry tonight as well. And all of you that are watching on YouTube, God bless you. Thank you for tuning in. We're honored to have you. I want to speak tonight on this thought, consecration. In fact, I want to call it consecration, the uncommon life. If you were to take the word consecration and do a thesaurus on that, Find a cinnamon, cinnamon. I must be hungry. A synonym for consecration. It would also be the word sanctify. So in the early church that I grew up in, we preached sanctification. Now, in essence, sanctification literally means set apart. When you would say that someone was sanctified, you were saying that they were set apart for God in their life. They had set a part or the whole part of their life unto the Lord. Just like the tithe is consecrated, set apart for the Lord. When God instructed Joshua to go into take the land. There would be 31 kingdoms that he would eventually have to overtake in order to have full possession. You can actually have a promise but not have possession of the promise. He was in the promised land but he didn't have possession of it yet. So he had to take over. And so the first city that you know that the Bible said that Joshua took over was Jericho. And because it was the first city of 31 cities, God said that this city is a tithe unto me. It's consecrated unto me. Consecration, sanctification means literally devoted unto death. In other words, it is something that is devoted. And so he said, don't take anything, uh, destroy all this, keep only this for me. And, and then if you know, follow the story, they defeated Jericho. But before they went into the next battle at Ai, there was a man in the camp who was part of, the, of Israel by the name of Achan. And Achan took what did not belong to him. God said, this city and all of its goods and all of its things belong to me. I'm taking this as a tithe. Devoted to me, consecrated to me. But Ai got stingy. He got his hands in the pot. And the Bible said he took a wedge of gold and silver and a Babylonian garment, and he took them and put them and hid them in the floor of his tent. And when they went in to fight the next battle, which should have been an easy fight, in fact, it was so easy that they didn't even send the whole army out because it was a small group in Ai that they were to defeat. And yet the Bible said that they lost the battle and they had a lot of their men killed. And the Holy Ghost spoke. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost will reveal. The Holy Ghost spoke 
and said that there's sin in the camp. Somebody has partaken of the accursed thing, the thing that was devoted unto death, the thing that belonged to God. And the Bible said that they went door to door till they found out who it was. And when they found out that it was, a that it was Achan, they brought Achan, his wife, his children, and everything they owned out, and they stoned them to death and killed them. And then God restored grace to the, to the nation and they went back to Ai and they won the victory. Someone wrote a song that said, Are you the Achan that's breaking God's heart? Have you kept something back that belongs to the Lord? Now smile at your neighbor and say, He's about to preach to you tonight. God wants every part of us. He wants everything that's his. You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. You don't have the luxury just to come and go and do what you want. You belong to the Lord. Now I know we're in a day and age where we freestyle and just do what we want and, and have no accountability, but that's not the way that God operates. Everything that God does, he does in protocol and alignment. And I want to talk to you about the uncommon life of being consecrated because it's not something you hear a lot of about today. In fact, when you start saying requirements and, and, and restrictions and things that people need to be held accountable to, people start saying, mm, that's not for me. And yet when God's trying to get you to another level in your spirit life, he puts the pressure on you to see what you're made of. A lot of times we're rebuking the thing that God has sent to try us to see what's in us. Somebody said, well, does God try us? Well, he did the children of Israel. The Bible said that he tried them, tested them to see what was in them. And often God will put the heat on you to see what comes out of you. In Revelation chapter 12 and verse 11, when you have that, shout amen. And I just want to read this one verse, and I want to break it down for a moment if I can. The first line of that verse says this, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb. And here we're referencing the believer who overcame Satan and overcame the tribulations of the world and everything that was thrown against them. The Bible said, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb. I don't have time tonight to preach about the blood, but I would reference and say that the the blood is the power to overcome and overwhelm the kingdom of Satan. And it is found exclusively in the blood of Jesus Christ, our Savior, and the finished work by faith that he did on the cross. So when we preach about the blood and we declare the blood, it makes devils nervous. When you start pleading the blood, it makes the devil squirm. I've been in services where the blood of Jesus is being preached and demon-possessed folk get upset, start hollering out, and you have to tell them to be quiet in the name of Jesus that you'll deal with them later because the devil will disrupt whenever you start preaching about the blood. I want somebody to shout the blood. And they overcame him by what? The blood of the lamb, the power 
to overcome and overwhelm. When you use the blood, when you use the blood, not only can you overcome, you can confuse the devil. You can overwhelm the devil. He can't handle the blood. He can't handle the blood. It's the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all sin. One drop of blood cleansed the whole world. The blood of Jesus, was it Andre Crouch that said that it reaches to the highest mountain and it flows to the lowest valley. It's the blood of Jesus. Come on, somebody, and thank him for the blood that cleansed you. Thank him for the blood. Somebody said, y'all not preach about the blood that's too gross in this millennial age and we might scare some folks over. Oh, I plead the blood. I plead the blood. I'm thankful for the blood of Jesus. There's power in the blood of Jesus. The Bible said that they overcame by the power of the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. I want you to notice the word testimony because the testimony pertains to the fact that it is the object of our faith in the cross, exclusively the cross, that when it, we begin to claim the cross, that we give the Holy Spirit latitude to work in our life. And so the Bible said that they overcame by the word of their testimony, the testimony of the cross of Jesus, the testimony of their faith in the finished work of Jesus. And then the Bible says, and they love not their lives unto the death. And this refers to the fact that believers must, change, must not change their testimony regarding the cross to something else, even if it means to their death. The Bible says three ways they overcame. They overcame by the blood of the lamb. They overcame by the word of their testimony. And they overcame because you couldn't get them to, to, to give up their testimony even to the point of death. I wonder in this room and I wonder in the year of 2020 if we still have anybody that would say that even to the point of death, even with a gun to my head, I will not deny Jesus. Now don't shout too loud. And don't so amen too loud because uh, uh, you haven't been tested in that yet. And I know sometimes we shout and we say amen in all the right places. But when push comes to shove, there's some people say, oh, Lord, I'm with you. They don't even come to church. Can we just preach in here? Uh, they say they part of the church. They don't even go to church. Are you understanding me? They like to shout on this verse. But the Bible said they overcame by the blood of the lamb. They overcame by the word of their testimony. And they overcame because they love not their life. Life, even unto death. In other words, something in them had to die. Something in them had to die in them, even to the point that it required an outside death. Let me preach in here. It takes an uncommon person to follow God's invitation to die to the flesh. Anybody can talk a big talk, but it takes an uncommon person to say, I will die to this old flesh. The life that God has planned for every one of us, it doesn't look like everybody else's life. It's the life he called us to. Our life should not be patterned after the way the world lives. Our life should be patterned by those whose lives have been touched by the Holy Ghost in front of us. 
those who don't fit in to the mold of common behavior of this world. Let me preach in here and talk about mothers tonight. Mothers who don't just bake pretty little cookies, but mothers who are so filled with the Holy Ghost and fire and know how to call on the Most High God to deliver their children before they ever enter into temptation. That's when you anoint your children before they ever head out to the schoolyard. Then your fathers who are so filled with the power of the Holy Ghost that they are leaders. They're not just a, a man in the home, but they are a, a godly man of vision, a godly man of valor, a mother and a father so full of the Holy Ghost they don't waste their time seeking the world's approval or the world's acceptance because they are following a pillar of fire. Let me preach in here to this Pentecostal church tonight and tell you God still wants some people to rise up with the fire of God in their belly and be an uncommon Christian in a common world. May I tell you uh, that they're not only those who walk according to God's will that live differently from the world's expectations but they go beyond the expectations of the world. They go beyond worldly limits. Can I explain something tonight? It takes an uncommon person to live a consecrated life because it is common for people who don't have a lot of money to be stingy about where it goes. But it's uncommon for someone to give it away to find out it never runs out. It's common for us to gloat when our enemy falls in the pit. But it's uncommon to love them enough to help them out of that pit. It's common for us to prosper when you do what you're good at. But it's uncommon to prosper when your talent your intelligence and your influence fail. Uncommon people know that faith and favor succeed the ability and authority that fall short in their life. You need the favor of God and the faith of God to operate when your ability and your authority fall short. That's where you tap in to living an uncommon life. May I tell you that deep inside of each of us, we know that God has called us to do something that is beyond normal, to live an uncommon life. It's inherent. We were born with something in us to do something wonderful and beyond the limits for God. You don't have to be taught. Listen, in this world we're living in right now, you don't have to be taught to be free from oppression, whether it comes from within or whether it comes from without. All you have to do is just study the history of people groups throughout this world. Whenever one group of people were oppressed or dominated by another, they did anything and everything in order to get free. They may not have even known that whom the sun sets free is really free, but there was something in them that said, you're not going to hold me like this. I'm going to fight against tyranny and I will fight against bondage. You didn't have to teach that. There's something in you that God plants in you not to be bound, not to be uh, uh, into bondage again. And the same is with every one of us. We know in our heart we have been called to live and 
uncommon life. God put it in us. God put it in my spirit. Without a lot of teaching, without theology, I understand that I've been called to do more than just live from paycheck unto paycheck. I know that I'm to do more than just to walk nonchalantly throughout this life and at the end see all that I've done. So no matter what we have or who we know or what we've accomplished, there is an unquenchable thirst in us for something more from God. That is a thirst for an uncommon life. God wants me to live an uncommon life because that's what he planted me here on this earth for. To to live an uncommon life. I want to give you tonight some characteristics of someone who lives an uncommon life. But first let me explain to you how to recognize how this uncommon life begins to develop in you. Number one, you will not have self as your focus. When you begin to live an uncommon life, you will no longer be focusing just on you. Unfortunately, we have too many people who worship and serve themselves. It's normal. Everything in their life is motivated and moved by their wants or their desires. But uncommon people, they keep God's will as their focus and they live their life on purpose, not possession. They live for purpose, not possession. With every act, with every attitude, the uncommon man and the uncommon woman declares that their desire for God's kingdom is for his kingdom to come and his will to be done. When you are an uncommon person, that you are consecrated unto God, you begin to die to self and you start saying, not my will, but thy will be done. The second characteristic is that you begin to use your possessions to accomplish purpose. So you begin to use your talent and your treasure and your time and your prosperity and your influence and your tools as rewards in God's hand. In fact, God loves to bless people who use those blessings to bless him. He wants what's valuable to you. He doesn't care if you own things just as long as those possessions don't own you. When you are an uncommon person, you will use your possessions to accomplish purpose. Thirdly, you will live a life of giving and not taking. Service will be your goal. Your goal is to be a servant leader, not being serviced or high maintenance, but being a servant that I have come to serve. We all know that person who is extra, who wants to be high maintenance. Come on, somebody. But our goal is not to be a person that wants to be serviced, but a person that serves and serves the Lord. Our flesh really doesn't like that aspect because when you begin to hone your servanthood skills, it requires you to be ready for anything that the master bids you to do. Sometimes he'll have you put a towel around your waist. 
Sometimes you have you drive to the airport to pick somebody up. Sometimes you have you take a toilet brush and clean the toilet. Sometimes they have to be in the parking lot dodging traffic. Come on now. Sometimes he'll have to have you be an usher and seat folks who didn't want to be seated there. Sometimes he'll have you do different things in the kingdom of God when there were other things you'd rather do. But because you're honing your servant skills, you said, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. I'm going to use all my possessions for the purpose you called me to. And I'm going to live a life of giving and not be a taker only. We all know some people that are just takers. They take, 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 take and never give. In fact, you couldn't give them to give you a compliment. You couldn't get them to even give you an apology if their life depended on it. Don't point at anybody, but we all know somebody, they won't apologize. Uh, they would be, they will hold their breath till they pass out before they would ever be the first to apologize. Now, you don't have to point, but how many would just say amen real loud where they can hear you? We, we know there are people that are, that are just take, 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 take. There are people you buy meals for, they never return the favor. There are people that you do, you buy gifts for, they never say thank you. Then They don't say how do you do? They don't say Mountain Dew. They don't say nothing. You don't get nothing out of them. What I'm saying, there are people that will always be taker, but when you live an uncommon life, you're a giver. When you are an uncommon person, you give. You are not here to be serviced. You're here to serve others. You might get a hangnail. You might cut your finger, you might stub your toe, but it won't keep you from doing what God called you to do because you didn't come on this planet to have everybody point accolades on you, pat you on the back and tell you that you are the best thing since string cheese. Can I tell you that God gave you the ability to serve other people? Look at somebody and say, don't be a taker, be a giver. The fourth characteristic is that you begin to live a life of faith, a life that is unrestricted by circumstance and fear, a life that is unrestricted by circumstance and fear, a life of faith that believes in the midst of contradictory circumstantial evidence that something really great can happen. So Many people today are pessimistic, including good Christians that we know. So many people are down all the time because they govern their lives by the facts that they see on the news rather than the faith that should be coming to them from the word of God because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But the uncommon person walks confidently ahead when the world is saying you've got to stop, you cannot do it. It takes an uncommon person who sits in peace while the world is running around in chaos and in circles, frightened and confused and acting out. It's the uncommon person that doesn't draw conclusions from the facts but gets theirs from God and has no limits and has no end because they trust a God who is seen and unseen. They, the Bible said that he's an invisible God. There are some things you're never going to figure out about God because his ways are past finding. But can I tell you, he'll step into time to give you a glimpse of his glory, to give you a glimpse of direction to say this is the way walk you in it. How many are thankful that God has stepped into your existence not once but many times just to let you know I'm 
still here. I've got you. You're not going to falter. Yes, the world's going crazy all around you, but don't you dare get swept up in that mess. Keep your life and your eyes upon me. You are an uncommon believer. You don't act like the rest of the world. You don't talk like the rest of the world. You don't listen to everything that the world's saying and doing. Your ear is tuned to another voice in another world, in another dimension. You are an uncommon person of faith and faith sees that there are no limits and there are no ends. Can I tell you, we are looking through a glass darkly right now and we don't always like what we see, but fix your eyes upon Jesus. I set my face like a flint looking to Jesus who is the author and the finisher of my faith. When you are an uncommon person, you live a life of faith. Number five, you live a life of miracles. I want you to think about that because how do miracles happen? They happen only when God is in control, not us. Miracles are not natural. Miracles are supernatural. So in other words, we are to live miraculous lives Lives that are out of our control. We say we want miracles, but in order to get a miracle, it has to be beyond your control. And some of us are so controlling. Many of us never experience the miraculous because we won't let go of the reins. We won't let go of control. We control everybody. We control every conversation. All of our family control everything that's going on. Mm. We have managed, monitored, and manipulated our lives by our own imaginations. Ooh, it's so quiet in here. We say we want miracles. We say we want to see God do the miraculous. But the truth is, sometimes we don't have enough room in our schedule for a miracle. We have set up our lives so that we can predict our blessing rather than simply receive the blessing. But living a miraculous life, living by faith, demands that we can't know everything that's going to happen. An uncommon person relinquishes control so that God can do it. And when God does it, he does it right. And he does it well. You can't control everything. We are scheduling God to move. And God's not bound by our restrictions. He's not bound by time restraint. It may take him the time he allots. We think, I want it now. God said, no, I've got you here for a reason. I'm processing you. I'm going to bring a miracle to pass so that at the end of this, you're going to look back and say, it could not have been anybody if it had not been for the Lord who was on my side. If it had not been for God who made a way out of no way. If it had not been for God when I went back to the doctor and the tests and the scans came back clear and they said, we don't know how 
how this happened. I know how it happened. I had to put my confidence in God. An uncommon person lives a life of miracles because they relinquish control. Elbow somebody and say, quit trying to control everything. Now that you're saved and sanctified and processed, you're ready for number six. God's power will reign in your life when you live an uncommon life. If it doesn't reign in your life, then the best that you can hope for is success according to your human ability and expectation and understanding. But we have the same power in us that raised Jesus up from the dead but most of us are either afraid to use it or have been satisfied with a counterfeit of it Jesus tells us the, the same spirit that raised him up it shall raise you up Paul said in the book of Ephesians now unto him who is able to do exceeding and abundantly above all you can ask or think according to the power that worketh in you you have the power to release the exceeding and the abundantly above all that you can ask or think according to the power that works in who? You. We have this power. Not human insight. Not understanding that we got in school or intuition or any type of expectation that we got from human understanding. It is from God. We trust God. He has given power to us to reign in our life. And let me just preach to this Pentecostal church because we get our Greek word the Greek word dunamis, God's power, is translated to the English word dynamite. The Greek word dunamis is translated to the English word dynamite. This is where we know that everything you need for an explosion is in that stick of dynamite. Can I just preach in here? But in order for you to have the power that is in that stick, it has to be lit from a fire from another source. Oh, I feel like preaching tonight. Without the fire, the stick of dynamite is only a potential power. You have to have something from another place like the fire in you in order for you to do damage against the devil. Let me preach in here and tell this Pentecostal crowd, we need some tongue-talking people. We need some spirit-filled believers that know how to put the devil to flight. The devil ain't taking my family. He's not taking my city. He's not taking my church. He's not taking my mind over. I have power. I got dunamis power. I got dynamite power. It was lit by the Holy Ghost in my life. Somebody shout uncommon. Woo. High five somebody and say it's an uncommon life. Just that stick of dynamite, that power that lies within us, it is very explosive. However, we cannot control or direct the power. Only God can control it. Only God can direct it. It is God who determines how far we go. It's God who determines how high we fly. It's God who determines how many people we're able to reach by the power of his fire. I come to preach to 
a church tonight and tell you we are still a church that believes in laying hands on the sick and seeing them recover. We are an uncommon group of people on the west side. Come on, let me preach in here. Living here on Bethel. We are an uncommon people who believe there's fire shut up in us. We have power to cast out devils. We have power to speak in new tongues. We have power to raise the dead because Jesus said we have this power. Say power. We have the power. But it's found in an uncommon life. An uncommon life. So how do you find an uncommon life? There's six things here that are characteristics. Say them with me. You will not have self as your focus. You will use your possession to accomplish purpose. You will live a life of giving and not taking. You will live a life of faith. You will live a life of miracles. And God's power will reign in your life. How do you find that? Let me give you a scripture. Go with me to the New Testament, Mark chapter 8. 8 verse 34 through 37. Jesus is about to teach here. And Jesus teaches in parables and examples. It's like when teachers send home your children's homework and include an example. And you call the teacher and say, can you send us some examples? And they said, that was the example. And you feel so dumb. Come on, somebody. Come on now. Jesus begins to teach us. And he says in Mark 8, verse 34, and when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them. So there's two groups there, the outer group and the inner group, the people and the disciples. Often when he would give the illustration and a parable, he'd give it to the crowd, but he'd give the hidden meaning to the disciples. But here Jesus brings two groups together and begins to speak. And he tells this, whoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever will save his life shall lose it. But whoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? And with that scripture up, I must confess that there's a lot, it's a lot easier to preach this than it is to live it. It's a lot easier to hear these words than it is to live it. As hard as it is to hear it, it's even harder to live it. Nevertheless, these are the words of Jesus Christ. He said that we must listen and we must take heed unto these words. Do you remember our text in Revelation 12 and 11? It says that the people of God overcome by the blood of the Lamb, the blood of Jesus to atone for our sin. And then the Bible said it was the word of our testimony, the testimony of our witness before the world that we cling to the cross. But there's a third part of that verse that makes Christians uncomfortable. And the Bible says that they love not their life even unto the death. And this in Mark chapter 8 is where the rubber 
rubber meets the road. Can I preach or teach a little bit here tonight? This is what Jesus meant in Mark 8 when he told us that we have to lose our lives, that we have to be willing to give up our lives. That word lose literally means to kill or to destroy our life. Obviously, not literally, but he's talking about for you to die to your flesh and for you to kill your own desire and for you to cling only to his. Jesus is saying we don't just lay it down our life aside to follow him. He expects us to ultimately destroy our desires and our wants so that he is able to possess us completely and we are able to follow him without a hindrance and without a distraction into eternal life. Uh, He promised all of that to us if we deny ourselves. So if you think about it, it's almost like a sacred suicide. And I don't want you to take this out of context, but in other words, you are voluntarily killing that old nature. You are voluntarily killing the type of person you used to be so that the person you are called to be can live in the overflow of God. Paul said it is mortifying the deeds of our body. Paul calls it being conformed to Christ's death. Paul said, I reckon myself dead to my old ways. Paul said that we are to present our body a living sacrifice. I have to die on an altar so that God can resurrect me unto life. And all those passages indicate a choice on the part of the believer. Death has to be initiated and carried out by me. It is an act of my will. It is an act of my desire. I have to voluntarily choose to become dead so that Christ can begin to live inside of me. And it is no easy thing for you to lose your life in this way because we were born into a world carrying a lot of baggage everywhere we go. And that baggage was packed onto us by our parents, our grandparents, society, culture, politics, history dating all the way back to Adam and then we pick up and move on through life and grab a whole lot more baggage and so by the time we come in contact with Jesus we are so loaded down with the stuff of this world that he has to come under and begin to filter through. It's a wonder he can find us at all with all the baggage that we've got and yet he still says come unto me all you that are later and heavy laden I will give you rest he knows we can't handle the baggage he's the only one that can handle the baggage so how do you lose your life how do you get rid of all the baggage that hinders you from achieving the uncommon life you start a journey with God in a way that he reveals himself in a divine process. And I want to give you, before I close, four elements to the process. I love shouting, but if you leave here and all you have is a shout and nothing to land on, you can take notes, but you need some meat and potatoes to go with that shout. 
I've seen Pentecost, I've raised Pentecost. They shout and don't even know what the message was. <laughs> what did they preach on? I don't know. I don't really know. Let me give you four elements of beginning this life where Jesus said, lose your life. Man, you start preaching like this, you'll clear a church out. Uh-huh. Because we ain't going to let nobody tell us what to do. God speaks to me, Pastor. Well, I'm glad he does. The first element is redirection. Redirection. When you start to lose your life, he begins to redirect you. Redirection begins with a calling from God. When the word of the Lord comes to you. I don't have time to unpack this. This is a whole message in itself. When the word of the Lord comes to you. When the word of the Lord comes to you. Maybe you were in church. Maybe you were reading. Maybe you were praying. Maybe you were singing. You were listening to the radio. But the word of God begins beckoning you. Giving you a vision of something beyond who you are or what you're doing. And in that moment, you told God, God, I'm willing. God, I'll go. God, I believe you. But then you came back to your real life and your real circumstances. And you found out that the kids still needed a ride to baseball practice. Your checkbook statement still needed to be balanced. And all the leaves came off the trees during the night. And now you got to rake your yard. You came back to your real life. And all that stuff begins competing with your faith. And while you're lugging the garbage to the end of the driveway, you're saying to yourself, I'm a man of purpose. Bless God, I'm a woman of purpose. And it doesn't sound so impressive when you're hauling garbage to the end of the drive. I'm a great woman of God. Sounds a little funny when you're wiping sweet potatoes off your toddler's face and doing all kinds of laundry. Because now... You know that God has called you to greatness and you promised him that you'll spend time with him in prayer about it as soon as you get the memo out and as soon as you do the laundry, as soon as you wash the car, as soon as you pick up the groceries, as soon as you get gas, as soon as you supervise the employee, as soon as you feed your family, as soon as you get the bills rolled out, as soon as I can find this remote control, I promise you, God, the grandkids don't come over, I promise you. If company don't stop by this weekend prohibiting me to coming to church, I promise you. If I don't get a flat tire before church, I promise you. If 
You know that you've been called to greatness, but you've got finals coming up and a midterm. And God help you if you've got a baby in your house because that baby doesn't care how great you are. That baby does not care that you need time to do some serious praying and fasting and casting out, binding and loosening around the clock. The baby does not care. The baby just wants to know when's their next baba coming. And most of you can understand what I'm trying to say because our faith is now competing with all the stuff in our life that's trying to crowd us out. But hear me today, that stuff does not negate your calling. You are still called. In fact, if you look in the Bible, the people that did uncommon things were people who did ordinary things when the call came. They were just doing life. Moses was on the backside of the desert watching his sheep. David was doing the very same thing. Elisha showed up for work and was plowing the field. He didn't call off the work to go to King's Island couple of fishermen were just out doing what they did. They were fishing and all these people and more were doing ordinary things that normal people do when God tapped them on the shoulder and said, I've got something great for you to do. And he began to redirect their life in the middle of their daily work, in the middle of operating their vocation, in the middle of taking care of their business, they received an invitation that said, in the midst of what you're doing, I'm going to open a space for you. I'm going to open a door for you. I'm going to open up your mind and your heart so that you can see that the place you're in is not an accident. I planted you here. Quit complaining because you're in your job. God planted you there. Quit because this is your church. God planted you here. This is a place that you begin to say, this was not by accident. God is in the middle of my life. He is directing me. He is pointing me to my greatness and greatness will not come if I don't show up. He begins to redirect your focus and he told Moses, turn aside and see this thing. When he saw the fire upon top of the mountain, it caught his focus because he had his eyes open. He was watching. He was watching. And that's when revelation came. Eyes have not seen and ears have not heard. So redirection. Secondly, risk. I've got two more after this. Stay with me. Once God makes it clear to you that he wants to redirect your life, he begins to introduce an element of risk in your life. And this is where many people that I know jump off the ship at this point because we like to play it safe and there's nothing wrong with being prudent and there's nothing wrong with being careful for there needs to be an amount of planting. The Bible says before you sit down, before you build, you have to sit down and count the cost. We understand that. But hear me, it's easy to risk all when you don't have anything to lose. But the older we get, the more we accumulate, the more comfortable we become, the harder it is to take the risk when you have so much. But if we want to get out of the common living 
and enter into the miracles of overcoming faith, we have to be willing to risk. And the heroes of the faith did the very same thing when God spoke to Abram and told him to go to the land that he promised him. When he talked to Peter and told him to get out of the boat, Jesus was not in reaching distance when he told him that. He had to obey God. He had to take the risk for God. Risk separates you from uncommon things. It puts you into an uncommon living. Pastor Bev and I were in Indianapolis years ago. We, were, we went to hear a preacher, well-known. If I said his name, you'd know. More of a word of faith preacher and miracles and prosperity. <laughs> but we went that night because we felt the Holy Spirit speaking to us to go. We'd never been to the church. We walked in. It was different. You know, somebody told me just recently, they said, you know, Pastor, I went to visit another church and there's no place like Bethel. That let me know that they've, this is home for them. We ain't the only church, y'all, but it does feel good to have a home. Feels good to have a home. We went to this church, and, and it was a little different, and uh, we were there, you know, kind of spying out the liberty, and uh, we were there watching and seeing all the people, and they got up to preach, and um, the pastor began to, the minister began to talk about sowing a seed. And to be honest with you, we were down to the crumbs in our account. So I thought. And my wife gets her checkbook out. I felt the prompting of God. But I was saying, I don't think we can afford to do this. And the Holy Spirit began to speak. And I looked over and Pastor Bev is already writing a check. And then I watched her fill in the amount. I thought, oh my God. Serious. And I didn't know what, how that was going, but I sensed the prompting of God. And we, we released that into the offering. And God had spoke to her heart. Bev's always been a giver. And she's challenged me to be a giver. And thank God. But I remember that night when we released that offering and I knew that she was hearing from God and I was saying, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. <laughs> Come on, somebody. But I knew that the Lord was in the, in the giving and we gave. And on the way home, because we just didn't have nothing, I was wondering, can we even go through the McDonald's drive We've shouted in this service. We've given a big offering and we're coming home hungry. When we got to our house on Bower Drive, we hadn't checked the mail that day. And when we opened up the mailbox, not only was there a check in the mail that we did not know was coming that was double what we had put in the offering that night. But as we went into service that weekend, someone un, uh, uh, conspicuously put an envelope in our hand that was full of cash, said, the Lord said, this is for you. 
And I want you to know that there are times that God begins to direct you to take a risk. Come on, somebody. Can you trust God in the process and take the risk? Risk is important when you live an uncommon life. Let me give you thirdly, and that is requ requirement. Risk and requirement are somewhat related because risk speaks of what you give up, but requirement speaks of the one who receives what you are giving up. Risk is what you give up. Requirement speaks to who gets what you give up. Oh, it's quiet in here. On your way to the uncommon life, God always takes you through a season of requirement. And requirement is not something you hear too much in churches today because we don't want to run anyone off. But if you're ever going to get to where you're going, God will often put you in a season of requirement and require of you to be in attendance and require of you to be punctual and require of you to be a tither and require of you to be a giver and require something of you oh it's so quiet in here because we so used to just doing what we want dare anybody to say anything to us preach to that wall pastor let me just say this to you we have got to a place where God says I put a requirement on you and I put you in a season of requirement because you're gonna give something up to me this is what the Lord says to his children you're gonna give something up to him you're gonna re he's requiring something of us so he puts us in a season of requirement. What do you mean? This is the season where God begins to test your devotion to him and your belief in your call to greatness. And he may ask you to give up everything in your life. He may not even ask for everything at one time, but one by one and little by little, God will begin to require something from you. He'll require you sometimes to put your game station and your Xbox down. Quit playing your 45 years old quit playing games with 13 year olds let me preach in here can I just encourage somebody when I was a child I spake as a child but now that I'm grown I put away childish thing I got a family to raise I got a yard to mow I got gutters that need cleaned out I got a wife that needs loved on I got children that need help with homework Woo! let me preach in here when it's so quiet God's not asking for everything but he'll start asking for something one by one he wants to know are you willing to give it up are you willing to lay it down for a season will you devote more time to me will you devote more energy to me would you sanctify your relationship he might be speaking to someone here tonight you're in a relationship with a boyfriend or a girlfriend would you be willing to give that relationship up in order to serve God's sanctified, holy unto the Lord. He might ask you to give up your possessions. He might ask for your time, your money, and maybe even your children. He wants your career status. He wants to know, can you even give up your ministry authority? <sighs> seasons of risk prove your devotion to God, but seasons of requirement prove your lack of devotion to yourself. 
well, I'm only going to go to a church where they let me do my thing. Hmm. Your thing? Yeah, I'm gifted. I ain't going to sit on my talent, Pastor. When Pastor Hill hired me to be his youth pastor, I come from a church in Ohio, and I came to serve in his church. And he sat me down. I wanted to jump up and do everything because I was used to doing everything. But in that season, he said, sit down. What if I, what if I would have said to him, oh, well, bless God, I'm called of God. I have an anointing on my life and I'm not just going to sit here. You know I like a certain flavor and a style and this is what I'm going to do. I wouldn't be pastoring this church today. See, some, some things are caught and some things are taught. You got to catch it. I sat there and was so antsy. I wish he had released me. Why won't he let me at least do this? I think sometimes he wants to know what are you willing to do? Can you be more devoted to Christ than you are to yourself? See, risk is where you prove your devotion to God. I'll risk it all for you. But requirement is where you prove your lack of devotion to yourself. Well, you know, if they don't let me sing my song, I, I don't know that I could go to a church that don't let me sing my special. There was nowhere in Mark chapter 8 where Jesus said you could sing your special. There was nowhere that said that you were entitled to play the keyboard or the bass or the drums. The only thing that I saw is when he said if you're willing to lose your life and take up your cross and follow me. See, we don't hire God to be our consultant. We don't hire God to be our troubleshooter. He's Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. And so he redirects us, requires us to take a risk for him, and then requires us to give something up. This was a hard lesson for me. Because I'm telling you, when I was in a small church, I was doing everything. You know you're in a small church when you are 16 years old and you're the Sunday school superintendent. You know you're in a small church. I was doing everything. And then he just said, you need to sit here for a while. It baffled my little mind because I thought I knew ministry. But my pastor was teaching me how to give up personal devotion devotion to myself and more devotion to God. You can get caught up doing the work of God that you forget the God of the work. And a lot of people are prostituting their gifts today in the body of Christ. They go wherever they can get a paycheck rather than to where they're called. And my calling is to this woman first. 
and to my children. Everything else comes from this. The fourth thing that I close with is reward. When we give God what he requires, he gives us what's in his hand. And in his hand is our reward. Not a reward in the sense that we do something to deserve something. Because God doesn't really owe us anything. But he has given us his word from Genesis to Revelation that we are his children and his heirs. Do you know what his reward is? His spirit. His name, his divine nature, his provision, protection, his glory, his love, his peace, his riches, his heart, eternal life. Those are the things that are his reward. And his promise to Abraham is the same promise to us. I will make thee a great nation. I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing. You and I are the miraculous creation of God. David said, good work, God. He made me to show forth his glory. I want you to speak, allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you for a moment. Would you just bow your head for a moment tonight? Holy Spirit, speak to every heart tonight. Allow God to speak to you today about the greatness he wants to birth in you and the greatness that he wants to birth through you. You are God's miraculous creation. God's calling you to live an uncommon life. But that uncommon life begins with consecration, sanctified for the master's use, set apart. God, here I am. You can use me. And the Bible teaches us that they overcame by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony and that they love not their life unto death. This is the key. This is the key. This is the key that you're willing to lose your life to find it. And I would ask you tonight and I would speak to you as someone who struggles with give, letting God have control of my life. I've always run after God with a, with a melancholic personality. I want everything in order. I want everything like this, like this, like this. God, we want you to do it like this. And God says, no, that's not how I move. I move in my own way. My responsibility is to line up with him, not have him line up with me. So I don't wait till my child got out of school before I served the Lord. I didn't wait till I reached a certain age when I had accomplished certain things and put in my tenure and my time at work, in my career, to serve the Lord. I did all of that simultaneously because I had burnt my plowshare and I had killed my oxen and I showed up for work and I took up my cross and followed the Lord. I'm going to ask you, are you willing to lose your life to find it? Because if you are willing to do it, you will teach your children to do the same thing. What good is it if you gain the whole world but you lose your soul? This will rub some people the wrong way. 
because my stance on this has been ostracized. I've been talked about behind my back. But I tell parents who have their children involved in sports, there's nothing wrong with that. But don't let it come before God. Don't let it come before God. Because what are you teaching your child? Nothing wrong with extracurricular. But you must keep the main thing, the main thing. And you know what we'll do? God will honor you. He will honor you. He will honor you. I'm not talking about those extra surprises and those special events. I'm talking about when it becomes such a routine that God is now last on the list. Do you think God's going to honor that? When I look back over my life, I want to prepare my child, not just for earthly ways and to get ahead in life, but I want to know that I've imparted into their spirit and their soul. Because if attending church is not a requirement to me, it will not be for the generation coming behind me. And so when I talk like this, people get upset and they pout and they fold their arms and they send text messages to one another. I just, I don't know of anything in particular. I just hear what the Holy Ghost is saying to me. <clears throat> but I'm with assurance that it rubs people the wrong way. I would just ask you this. What is God requiring of you? So requirement is what you give up to him. And this is what I've learned. When I'm willing to give it up to God, then it no longer means the same thing to me. And oftentimes he repackages it and gives it right back to me because he knows that it does not come before him. God said, I will have no other gods before me whether it's relationship, education, sports, whatever it is. I'm your pastor all the time, not just when I say what you want me to say. I love you enough to tell you Bible said there is a way that seemeth right unto man but the end thereof are the ways of death I've had ministered to parents who sat at my desk and complained to me about their children and, and how they were caught up in the world but they were the same parents that we constantly were trying to get them to get their kids to church and now they live like hell and are opposed to the things of God and have a twisted theology that is not based on thus saith the word of God, but based on someone's basement teaching. And we are hard pressed to dig that out of them because then we would also offend the parent who let that happen. So when I preach this, I've preached to myself because I had to make a decision years ago that we would raise our child in the fear of the Lord. It's the same commitment. I'm standing here living and had to live this out myself. I don't have control over grown children, nor do you. 
But if you have the power within you now to direct their steps, then, beloved, direct their steps to God. Do everything you can to position them in the house of the Lord. Don't let your children call the shots because you will start seeing hell manifest itself in your house. I hear the Holy Ghost speaking right now. This is not in my notes. I wasn't in my premeditated thoughts, but I hear the Holy Ghost speaking. God wants us to live an uncommon life. And when you step up to live an uncommon life, even your own family won't understand it. But run after God anyhow. They cannot deny the power of God in your life. You don't have to prove yourself to anybody. Just live it out. Just live it out. You don't have to beat anybody up over the head with the Bible and say, thus saith the Lord. Just live it out. And the Holy Spirit will do the living through you. Somebody said, Pastor, I can't do it. You're right, you can't. He has to do it through you. Surrender to him. Say, Lord, live this through me. Live this uncommon life through me, God. I surrender to you. And while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed and the Holy Ghost is dealing, oh, there wouldn't be such a friction in your spirit if the Holy Ghost wasn't dealing. But if he is dealing and if this friction is in you, then listen to God in this moment. Perhaps he's trying to spare your life. Holy Spirit, Deal with this mature church. Deal with these mature believers. Deal with every one of us, myself included, to live the uncommon life. Take the next few moments, if you will, as they sing and begin to consecrate. Die to everything. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Bethel Family Worship Center. 